Hey, everyone. My name is George Davis. Thanks again for joining us this morning with this online service of the Hershey Free Church. By the way, a little later in the service, right at the end of the message, we are going to take time to share together as a church in communion. So I would encourage you maybe right now, if you're by yourself or if you're part of a family, to have someone get up and get the supplies, however you want to do that, with bread, something to drink, and we will share in that a little later in the service. Also, if you've got a Bible, join with me now in turning to Luke chapter 15, in the New Testament, Luke 15. If you were with us last Sunday, uh, last Sunday we started a new academic year, and as we started the new academic year, we took time to talk about the, the next season in the life of our church, the next three to five years, and, and what that might look like. We also particularly focused on what this next academic year, this next 12 months can look like for us as a church. And, you know, as a church, our, our mission is clear. We want to be a community that lives with Jesus, loves like Jesus, and leads others to do the same. But within that framework, within that mission, there's very something very specific that I'm inviting you to do over the next year. And what I'm inviting you to do over the next year is to join me in being a bridge builder. That's what we're talking about in this series. And, and here's what I mean by this. Uh, when we talk about being a bridge builder, it, it simply means being intentional and in building into relationships around us, relationships that we can have at school, at the workplace, in our communities, our neighborhoods, and businesses, places that we frequent. It's, it's being intentional in stepping into the opportunities that God is giving us to invest in the lives of other people. And as we started talking about bridge building, I, I also just need to continue to acknowledge that this can be challenging, and it really can, at this moment, be countercultural. Because due to a variety of circumstances, right now we're tired. Uh, I think in some ways we feel more isolated. Also, it feels like we're at a cultural moment where we're divided, we're polarized, we're uh, in different camps with different viewpoints. And, and yet, in the midst of all of that, I believe God is inviting us to live differently. I believe particularly at this time of elevated stress and uncertainty, God is inviting us to build bridges. God is inviting us to be agents of grace in the lives of other people. And that's really the challenge, the invitation that I'm giving to you over the next year. Now, as we go through this year and, and talk about bridge building, there's, there's a phrase you're going to hear us using, and, and it's just the phrase, bridge building moments. And, and when we talk about bridge building moments, we're simply talking about a, a faith stretching next step in a relationship. So as I invite you to be a, a bridge builder, what I'm inviting you to do over the course of the next year is to take faith stretching next steps in your relationships. Uh, to give you just one example of what that looks like, join me in watching this. Thank you, Josiah, for sharing your story. I can't wait to hear how that unfolds. Now, I realize after hearing that, perhaps you're saying, well, I could, I could never take a creative step like that. Or maybe after hearing Joel's story earlier in this service, you, you would say, I could never take a bold step like that to actually go to a foreign country. Well, inviting you to take faith-stretching next steps, I just I want to acknowledge that these are going to look differently in each of our lives. All I'm really asking you to be open to is, is the fact that even now, God is giving us opportunities to invest in the lives of other people around us. And would you be willing to say yes 
Would you be willing to say, I want to be attuned to those opportunities and I'm going to be willing to take next steps, whether they be large or small? If you're willing to say yes to that, I'm going to ask that you go to hfcinfo.com, our website, and there you'll find a bridge building moment tab and included in that tab is, is a commitment card. I'm going to ask you to fill that out so that we can send you a welcome pack with additional information and some suggestions. Furthermore, if you fill that out, it gives us the opportunity to start praying for you during the course of this year. In fact, many of you signed up and have started signing up already. And even as our church staff gathered this Wednesday, we specifically prayed for each of you by name. So will you join me? Will you join me over the next year in seeking to be a bridge builder? Already, I'm being encouraged by some of the stories that I'm hearing, and we're going to be sharing those with you throughout the year. I'm looking forward to seeing what this looks like in in your life and mine. But I think as, as we get started in this new academic year, as we get started in this initiative, it's important for us to remember we need to start at the right place. We need to start with the right perspective. We need to start with the right foundation. And what what should be our foundation? What kind of perspective do we need? And I think to answer that question, we need to go to the words of Jesus. We need to go to the place where Jesus introduces himself in Luke chapter 4. And when we go to Luke chapter 4, here are the words we read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Luke's gospel, this is how Jesus introduces himself. This is how Jesus introduces his mission. These words are rooted in the promises of Isaiah. And ultimately, Jesus says as as he quotes these phrases, that he is the fulfillment of God's promise to restore and renew his creation. Using the words of Isaiah, Jesus describes this renewal, notice this, as the year of the Lord's favor, or the year of the Lord's welcome. Elsewhere, that term is used in conjunction with the idea of salvation, of deliverance, of God's grace. So as Jesus comes, he says, I am the one who is bringing about the fulfillment of these promises. I am the one who is bringing about the reality of God's grace. So the work of God's grace is, it's absolutely central. It is absolutely foundational to Jesus's ministry. And if grace is central to Jesus's ministry, it needs to be central to ours as well. Our bridge building Our investment in the lives of other people needs to be grounded in grace. Now, I realize at this point, you may be saying, of course, George, that's obvious. I mean, we all know what the Bible says, that we are saved by grace. We know that reality. We know that grace is at the heart of of the gospel. We already know that. And I realize that for many of us, maybe this just seems obvious, Yet I think in different ways, the reality is this. In different ways, the reality is that we can choose to live our lives in a way that is indifferent to God's grace. To show you what I mean, let's now come to Luke chapter 15. This is one of the most famous stories, one of the most famous parables included in in the Gospels and all of Jesus' teaching. 
It's a story that we typically refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. And I think when we think about um, being indifferent to God's grace, one of the clearest examples of that in Scripture is the story of this younger son who walks away from his father. He walks away from his family. He walks away from his father's love. Now, most likely, you're familiar with the story, right? There's a, there's a father. He has two sons. And the, the younger son comes to his father and asks for his share of the inheritance. Now, for those of us who were parents, uh, perhaps at some point you've had a child come to you and he or she has asked for a loan or an advance or a help with some financial need, and maybe you responded or maybe you worked out some kind of middle ground. But, but what's going on in this parable is very different than, than really anything you or I have experienced. Because in the ancient world of which Jesus was a part, for a son to have the audacity to come to his father and, and ask for his share of the inheritance was the ultimate act of a betrayal, the ultimate act of, of rejection. It's like the son looked at his father and said, I wish you were dead. So the son comes to his father and asks for his inheritance. And then, then he leaves, right? And here's what we read in Luke 15. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So the son heads out, and over the course of time, he loses everything. In reality, he, I think he doesn't simply lose his money, his fortune. He loses his identity. He, he loses his sense of belonging. I mean, he's, he's coming from a Jewish background, and yet he's now feeding and eating with the pigs. And finally, he hits bottom. And when he hits the end of himself, he hits the end of his resources. When, when all of that takes place, Jesus, as he tells the story, says he, he started to come to his senses, right? And so here's what we read as the passage continues. When he had come to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And so as Jesus tells the story, right? The, the younger son who is headed out, who has squandered his life, he now comes to his senses and when he finally comes to his senses, he develops a plan. I'm going to go home. And when I go home, I am going to fall on my father's mercy. I'm going to ask him to take me back as a hired hand. And Jesus doesn't say this, but I can just imagine as we envision this story coming to life, I can just imagine this, this young man all the way home, right? He's repeating the story. At some point, you've had hard conversations that you've prepared for with other people, and maybe you go over the conversation over and over in your mind, knowing exactly what you are going to say. So all the way home, the son is repeating this, this, this short speech, right? He's got his elevator speech. He's going to throw himself on his father's mercy and say, please take me back as your hired hand. 
So he gets closer and closer. Finally, he gets almost home. And as he nears home, the unexpected happens. His father comes running out to meet him. And once again, this is so countercultural because in the ancient In the ancient world, the head of the house would never run out to meet anyone. Yet Jesus says he comes running out. And Jesus says he is filled with compassion. And as he comes running out, the two meet and the father embraces the son. And at that point, the son launches into his stump speech. Remember, he's he's been practicing it over and over again. Surely by this point, he's got it down word perfectly. And he launches into this plea, plea for his father's mercy, plea to be taken home as a hired hand. But the father, the father will have none of it. He is welcomed home. He's welcomed home as a son. And the embrace of the Father is an embrace of grace. In fact, what what does the Father say? He says, give him my best stuff. We've got to celebrate. We've got to have a party. And that's exactly what happens. Now, if we're honest at this point, we need to acknowledge that maybe some of us have walked away from the Father. Maybe some of us have become indifferent to God's grace, just as the younger brother did. Maybe right now, if you're really honest with yourself and honest and, and looking at your own life, you would have to say, you know what? I've, I've walked away in disobedience. I've, I've walked away in distrust. I've walked away in rebellion. Maybe even in coping, right, with with all that we've gone through over the last few months, the stress, the uncertainty. Maybe you would say, you know what, I've gotten stuck in some unwise choices. Over the last few months, I've developed some really unhealthy habits or even some kind of addiction to try and, and medicate the stress, the uncertainty. And if, if that's the case, I think the story that Jesus is telling us here particularly for you, it's, it's an invitation to come home. It's, it's an invitation to be embraced by the grace of the Father. Now, we could stop here, and if we did, the message would be shorter. <laughs> but if we stopped right here, we would stop at a place where Jesus doesn't stop. Because it is right here that Jesus' story takes an unexpected turn. Because right here, the story now begins to focus on the older brother. In fact, here's, here's how the story continues, right? Right as there's the start of all of this celebration, here's what we read. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And what's fascinating, if you pay very careful attention to the way Luke tells the story of Jesus, it becomes very clear that in this part of Luke's gospel, he's really drawing our attention to the older brother. There's a surprising focus on this older brother. Just to give you one example of that, think about the setting in which Jesus tells the story. 
We often pay attention to the story without necessarily paying attention to the setting in which the story is told. And we, we discover the setting of the story right at the beginning of the chapter. Here's what we read at the beginning of Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Interestingly, as Luke tells the story of Jesus, he's very careful to highlight the truth that Jesus had this habit of hanging out with all sorts of people. I mean, Jesus was the ultimate bridge builder. Jesus had the habit of hanging out with people that were considered outcast or outsiders by others. And as a result of that, particularly those who were part of the religious elite, they were constantly making a certain criticism of Jesus. He hangs out with the wrong sort of people. He hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. That's a phrase that occurs several times in Luke's gospel. And it's always couched in criticism. These people are always criticizing Jesus because of the people he's hanging out with. And that's the context in which Jesus tells this parable. It's in the context of these people kind of standing around, muttering, complaining that Jesus tells this story. And the truth is, if you had been part of that crowd, most likely as you hear Jesus tell this story and he gets to the part about the older brother, he gets to the part about the older brother complaining about his father's love and grace. He gets to the part where the older brother is complaining about his younger brother. If you had been standing there, most likely you would have realized, my goodness, he's talking about the people around us. He's talking about these very people who've been muttering against him. And what what the older brother shows us, and we need to pay attention to this, what the older brother shows us is that we can walk away from God's grace without ever leaving home. We can walk away from God's grace even when we pursue a life that seems defined by careful religious obedience. After all, the, the older brother never left home. He stayed at home. He continued working diligently, right? He was in the father's fields when the younger brother came home. He knew his responsibility. He knew his father's estate. He slept under his father's roof. He ate at his father's table. But he did not understand his father's love, and he did not understand his father's grace. And ultimately, his problem was this. Ultimately, his problem was he viewed his life through the lens of self-sufficiency and religious achievement rather than viewing his life through the lens of his relationship with his father. And consequently, he didn't think he needed grace. And because he didn't need it, he didn't live in it. And because he didn't live in it, he could not give it. It's not surprising then how he responds to the treatment of his younger brother. Notice how the story continues. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the calf that was fattened for him. 
Do you feel the weight and emotion of this part of the story? And what we see here is what happens when we build our lives around self-sufficiency and and religious achievement. I mean, notice just a couple of things that are clear here. First of all, notice the way the son becomes bitter and angry. I think the older brother assumed, you know, if I do the right thing, things should go right for me. It's like we look at God and say, okay, God, I'm doing this for you. Now here are the things you need to do for me. And if that doesn't happen exactly the way we plan, we become bitter and angry. We become bitter and angry with God. We become bitter and angry toward others. And underlying that bitterness, that angerness is this sense of religious achievement and religious entitlement. If I just do the right thing, I can control how life turns out. Not only do we see bitter, bitterness and anger here, I think we, we also see a sense of superiority. I mean, as you, as you read this, you can just feel the disdain that the older brother has for his younger sibling. Right? It's a sense of superiority. And when my life is based on self-sufficiency and religious achievement, it's natural for me to have a sense of superiority in comparison to those who haven't achieved the way I have. Finally, I think because his life was based on self-sufficiency and religious achievement, he was deeply insecure about his father's love. I mean, notice, you know what? You never gave me You never gave me a goat. And and yet, ultimately, the father says, don't you get it? Don't you understand? All that I have is yours. When our lives are based on religious achievement, on self-sufficiency, there's always an element of insecurity. Does God really love me? Have I really measured up? Uh, Richard Loveless, in, in I think a very helpful book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life, writes this. Listen to this carefully. Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness and criticism of others. That's exactly what we see in this story. So as we come to this story, it becomes clear there are different ways to become indifferent to God's grace. We can become indifferent to God's grace through, you know, sin and ongoing disobedience. Yet we can also do it through self-sufficiency and and religious achievement. And when it comes to God's grace, if, if we don't think we need it, we won't live in it. And if we don't live in it, We can't give it. So as we begin this bridge-building initiative, if we're to do it well, we need to start with the right foundation. We need to start with the right perspective, to start from the right place. We need to be people who are grounded in grace. People are seeking to abide in this relationship. People who are opening our lives to God's ongoing grace. So with that in mind, let me just ask you this practical question. What rhythms or habits open your life up to God's grace? What what rhythms or habits open your life up to God's grace? One of the things I, I think I've realized over the last few weeks is this, you know, during the kind of chaos and uncertainty of this ongoing pandemic and just all the unknowns, 
all the ways we're having to adapt and adjust. In the midst of all of this, it's, it's easy for certain habits to get lost in the shuffle. For instance, I think, you know, for many of us, we're, having, we're spending so much energy having to do things differently, having to work differently. Our kids are having to kind of go to school differently, and we're having to adapt in new ways. And, and among other things, because that's taking so much energy, I think it can be easy to, for instance, neglect taking time to engage God in Scripture. And maybe that just gets pushed to the side. Taking intentional time to slow down, to spend time in Scripture, to to reflect on what I'm reading, to, to really seek to engage God and what he's wanting to teach me, how spirit can, even in the midst of all this that's going on, challenge, stretch, convict, encourage me. Just in the midst of all this, it, it's easy to lose those kinds of rhythms and patterns. Yeah, I think it's absolutely important that we, particularly in a moment like this, need to be reminding ourselves of God's grace and opening our lives to ways we experience his grace. Uh, with that in mind, let me just remind you that as we are moving forward, each week we're preparing a devotional guide that you can find at hfcinfo.com. And this is intended really to help you engage God in scripture, to help in, even in the midst of this craziness, build this rhythm into your life. For instance, this week, uh, you'll have opportunity over a couple of days just to engage God in the midst of this powerful story in Luke 15 and to, to wrestle with his radical grace. Another thing just in my own life that I've realized is, you know, is, as things have gotten lost in the shuffle over the last few months, it, at times I have neglected some relationships. Last week, a mentor just kind of reminded me kind of about this by asking a very provocative question. He said, George, right now, who is speaking into your life? And as he asked that question, I just realized that in, you know, in trying to make things happen in the course of all the busyness, there are a couple of relationships that I've, I've just neglected. Relationships that for me are often life-giving. Relationships that are often channels of God's grace. It's just I spend time with some key people in my life. So particularly as this pandemic continues, and we don't know exactly how it's going to unfold, my challenge to you right now as we begin this bridge-building initiative is, is just to say, okay, what are the rhythms? What are the patterns in my life? that open me up to God's grace. What does that look for you right now? As we seek to move through this next year and in different ways build bridges, in different ways take faith-stretching next steps, let's make sure we start in the right place. Let's make sure we build on the right foundation. Let's make sure that we are people who are grounded in grace. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come to this very familiar story, and it's a story that confronts us with the, the reality that there are different ways that we can become indifferent to your grace. We can walk away through sin and disobedience, but we can also become through indifferent through rigorous uh, approaches of life that are based in self-sufficiency and religious achievement. Father, when we get stuck in ways that are indifferent to your grace, we act as if we don't need it. And when we act as if we don't need it, we don't live in it. And when we don't live in it, we can't give it. 
So Father, it's my prayer that as we begin this initiative, as we're seeking, even in the midst of this craziness, to build into the lives of other people, may we understand that to do this well, we need to be people who are grounded in grace. And it's in the name of the one who makes that possible, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. As I said a few moments ago, um, this morning we're going to take time to celebrate communion. So I'll give you just a few seconds to get your supplies ready, whatever that looks like for you, some bread or something along those lines, something to drink. And if you're uh, celebrating with other people, you've got family members or maybe other people that you're watching this with just to make sure uh, these are distributed. And even as we've been talking about God's grace, even as we have been talking about this very familiar story, now, now as we come to this time of communion, In some ways, I'm going to ask you to put yourself into that familiar story. And as you put yourself in that familiar story, as a follower of Jesus, I want to just encourage you right now to experience the embrace of the Father's love. To experience the embrace of grace. And even if there are ways it feels like at times you've been kind of neglecting his grace through disobedience or neglecting his grace through self-sufficiency, even in this moment as we share in communion together, would you allow the Spirit of God to remind you that you are deeply loved, that you are deeply held by the Father, that you are a recipient of his grace? And as you think about that embrace of grace, (laughs) let me also remind you of the one person who is noticeably absent from the parable, and that is Jesus. Interestingly, he tells the story, but he leaves himself out. And unlike the, the younger brother in the story, you and I actually have a faithful older brother whose name is Jesus. You see, in the culture of the ancient world, the expectation would have been this. In the culture of the ancient world, when the younger son decided to go off on his own, it should have been the older brother who went after him. It should have been the older brother who brought about peace and restoration, the renewal of that relationship. But in the story, the older brother does nothing. However, you and I have a different older brother. You and I have an older brother who went to the cross an older brother who makes restoration possible, an older brother who now empowers us to be embraced by the grace of the Father. And with that in mind, an older brother that looks at you and looks at me and says this, this is my body, it's broken for you. This is my blood, it's shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together. Join me again in prayer. So Father, even as we have remembered this story that confronts us with your radical grace, We celebrate the work that was the ultimate manifestation of that grace. We celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ, 
the work of the cross, the power of the resurrection, which now enables us to experience new life, forgiveness, restoration, transformation, the work that now truly empowers us to be agents of that grace in the lives of other people, even as we begin this bridge-building initiative this year. Father, we celebrate the work that allows us to be embraced by your grace. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.